Welcome to the Will to Power Hour. I am your host, Kyle, and uh, we're getting ready to get into it here with uh, my third solo podcast. That was my attempt at uh, having intro music, so we'll see how that sounded. I'm just rolling the dice on that one. Um, So I'm coming to you today with an episode that I have basically put together over the last couple days. Um, you know, I had an idea of something else that I was going to do, and this one just kind of jumped out at me, and I really wanted to do it. So what we're going to be doing today is um, definitely definitely different from the things that I've done in the past with, with these last two episodes. So we'll see how you guys feel about it. Um, one of the things that uh, has been a theme over my solo podcast and the two, the actual Two Tongues podcast that we do with, that I do with Chris is an aversion to progressive politics. Um, but I don't hate progressive everything. I actually very much enjoy progressive music. Um, you know, some of my favorite, yeah, I love Rush. Uh, yes, I, I don't love all Yes. Yes has got some good songs. That song Roundabout kicks ass. King Crimson, Coheed and Cambria is a particular favorite of mine. Uh, At the Drive-In and the Mars Volta are great too. Um, the Punch Brothers are a great progressive bluegrass band. And one of my other favorite progressive bands is a band called Tool. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard of Tool. I hope, I hope that you all like Tool because Tool is pretty sweet. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be kind of covering two songs by Tool today. I'm going to, you know, I'm not by any means a, you know, uh, a music theory ace. I really don't know. uh, You know, I know a little bit. I think I actually probably know more than, more than a lot of people. Just, I feel like catching a rhythm, uh, being able to find the beat in a song, being able to sing on key, like just kind of catch the key of a song and be able to sing in it. That kind of stuff's always come easy to me. I don't have a lot of technical knowledge. Like I could probably pick up the tune of a song, but I couldn't tell you this is in E, E flat. I, you know, I couldn't do any of that. Um, but you know, so that kind of stuff was always naturally with me. Then later in life, I started listening to more complicated music and the more complicated music that I listened to, the more I started paying attention to it, and that helps too. Um, that's something that I have a term for. I call it active listening. You know, a lot of the times you're driving down the road with your friends, you're jamming to a song that you both love, and um, that's kind of as deep as it goes. But a lot of music, there's so many levels um, that you can pick up on if you just pay more attention. Um, so I try to do that pretty frequently. I listen, like I said, I, I started listening to more complicated music, probably, you know, late teens, early twenties. I started listening to slightly more complicated music. You know, I found out, found Frank Zappa, uh, big fan of Zappa. Um, so then eventually I started playing guitar. Uh, I'm not a great guitarist by any stretch of the means. I can bang out, you know, some simple chords and, you know playing simple time signatures, things like that. Um, But learning that kind of stuff did help my understanding of, you know, music theory and stuff a little bit too. So that's, that's been a valuable um, experience for me learning to play guitar. It's, 
I don't do it enough. I don't make enough time for it right now, but I, uh, I, I do love playing guitar. So that, that's given me a little bit of insight. Like I said, if you want that real deep inside, insight, uh, if you really want that deep insight, you can go on YouTube and there's a guy named Rick Beato and he breaks down these songs in a way that is incredible. I watched uh, the, his video for one of the songs that I'm going to be talking about today. And I got some stuff out of it because I can keep up a little bit, but man, so much of it was so far over my head that uh, it was it was like Greek. So, um, so, where do I start here? So, Tool, if you guys listened to me and Chris's most recent episode, we were kind of talking about when we met, and Tool became a band right around that time, somewhere in that area. Um, and so... When they first started making music, I was a small child. I was not appreciating that sort of thing at all. Um, so this is definitely stuff that I've come to appreciate later in life. Um, you know, and even back when I was 16, 17, I thought Tool was cool, but I wasn't really, like, digging deep into the lyrics and stuff like I'm going to do today. So um, Tool's a unique band in a lot of ways. One of the ways... Uh, that they're particularly unique is that they pay a lot of attention to not just the musical arrangement, but the like visual aesthetic of the band. Um, you know, anybody who's seen a Tool album cover or a music video, especially, you know what I'm talking about. They uh, have a very distinct style. They do a lot of stop motion in their music videos, just kind of like nightmarish. Uh, but in a cool way. I mean, it's all very cool. Um, the music video, the music video aspect is uh, pretty neat. They've got a lot of really, really cool music videos. And the album art, some of their albums, they actually use this guy named Alex Gray, who I'm sitting here staring at two Alex Gray paintings right now that Chris has prints of. Um, they're pretty incredible, and they do look very much like Tool, tool covers, Tool album covers. So... That's pretty neat. Um, so that's going to give you some insight into the type of, you know, the type of energy that Tool's putting out there. They're using this DMT trippy artist to uh, do the, you know, the art for their albums. That's giving you some kind of insight. And when I start going over the lyrics and stuff like that, and just, you know, the there's meaning in the actual composition of the music. You know, all of that stuff is very in line with this Alex Gray, DMT, you know, crazy world. So, um, let's see here. So that close attention to the visual aesthetic and just kind of the feel of the band, um, it leads to a lot of things. It leads to, like I said, a lot of cool artwork on the albums, a lot of cool music videos. But another thing it leads to is... A lot of rumors about Tool. I remember being in high school and hearing that at Tool concerts, all of the bands are like hidden. You don't see them or they're facing away from the crowd because they want it to be just about the music, man. Um, I don't even know if that's true. I don't think that I've, I've seen old videos of Tool playing and they're right there for everyone to see. But just this aesthetic that they're trying to build encourages that kind of imagination in people like yeah there's all these crazy stories about them um they are all pretty cool um the members of the band 
So you got Danny Carey on drums, Justin Chancellor on bass, and a lot of people are going to tell you that Tool is a a drum and bass band. And I mean, there is definitely some truth to that, but some people have a tendency to not give the guitarist Adam Jones enough credit. Uh, that guy adds so much to the Tool songs uh, without being up in the front like a lot of guitarists are in bands. Uh, and he's also the guy who's responsible for most of the art direction in the band. So that's a huge part of what Tool is. So uh, Adam Jones is very significant in the band. Uh, and then the vocalist, it, maybe my favorite part of the band is Maynard James Keenan. And this guy, uh, so one thing I love about music in general is bands are groups that really play their instruments well. They're like masters of whatever instrument they're playing. And all of these guys are killers on their instruments. And that includes Maynard, because that guy can sing. I mean, the guy has got such incredible range. He can sing these soft, very pretty parts, and then all the way up to just belting it out there with, you know, the best of the rock singers. Um, so... That really, that, that's a part of the hook of Tool for me, is that they're all really, really good. And another thing that I like about Tool is the music, like we're going to talk about here, is very thought out. It's not, nothing's out of place. Everything is right where it's supposed to be. And it all has, one thing that I feel about Tool when I listen to them is that everything, every note, every lack of a note, everything has meaning. It, there's something to be said for it. Um, so that's another thing that I love about them. And another thing that is pretty fantastic about Tool is that they're a band that delivers a deep philosophical message in almost all of their songs. Um, you know, whether the song is about the meaning of life or prison rape or getting fisted I mean honestly these are all songs that those are all songs that Tool has but the lyrics about prison rape they're so deep and so human that it's great it's beautiful poetry uh, it's just about you know some dark stuff um, so that's that's pretty awesome um, you know they've got one song called 46 and 2 and they reference Carl Jung's idea of the shadow. Carl Jung is someone who we've talked about frequently on this podcast. Big fans of Carl Jung over here. Um, and one of the messages that we talked about from Carl Jung in that episode, Carl Jung on totalitarianism, one of the things that we talked about was saying that, um, you know, Carl Jung felt that we should all be progressing we should all be continually evol uh, evolving evolutionizing is what i was going to say there um yes we're all supposed to be continually evolutionizing and developing and that is an idea that tool um you know it's a common thread through all of their work that's uh something that they believe um they were supposed to perform one concert at a venue that was owned by the Church of Scientology and they did end up performing the concert there but the pretty much the entire uh, performance Maynard was buying like a sheep so I think he probably sang the lyrics too he's not trying to punish the people who are coming out to see him but um, you know that's kind of they don't 
the reason that they he was protesting that was because they don't believe that you should be involved with any kind of ideology that is going to limit your personal development. So that's that's what that's all about. And that's, you know, that's something that I believe, too. I think that's something that Chris believes. That's something, like I said, Carl Jung was talking about. Um, and, you know, one of the ways that I have tried to develop myself is you know, this understanding of music that I've been trying to build. And I would like to understand it much better. I would like to be a better guitarist. I would like to be a better musician in general. But, um, you know, so I just, I just, I love these songs, these two songs that I'm going to cover. And I just wanted to maybe see if I could talk about them in a way that was interesting. So I'm going to kind of analyze not just the, the lyrics, but I'm going to give you my kind of simple analysis of the music um and you know i think that i think that i might be able to say some interesting things about it nothing that hasn't been said before but maybe it hasn't been said to you so uh one important idea for this podcast for me is the idea that you don't have to be an expert to talk about something i, th- I feel like that's something that people try to push in the media and stuff like that it's, if anybody shares their opinion on something it's like well you're not a doctor you're not a you know a scientist it's like yeah well i i still have opinions and i'm you know going to live my life my life based on those opinions so i don't know i just don't know what to tell you uh no i'm not a doctor but i have ideas man so i can't talk about the entire catalog of tool songs there are so many fantastic songs and so many songs that have so much meaning in them and you know, because they put so much thought into their music, it encourages people to think about it themselves. Uh, so there's just way too much to say about like the entire catalog of Tool songs. So I picked out two, and I picked these two because uh, they're related to a you know a lot of things that Chris and I talk about on this podcast. A lot of things that I believe, um, you know, like that personal evolution thing for one. Um, but there's more and we're going to talk about that and B, they're two of my favorite songs. So it's going to be a lot of fun for me to listen to. Uh, I've listened, I've listened to the first song that we're going to go over, you know, kind of what got me wanting to do this was that I've been listening to this song and I'll just tell you what the first one is. It's schism. Um, I've been listening to this song, you know, I've probably listened to it 25 times in the last like three days before I even decided to do this, um, this podcast. Um, and that's kind of what made me want to do it. Like I said, so, you know, and then since I decided to do it, I've probably listened to it 25 more times, just, you know, trying to iron things out here. So yeah, the first song is schism. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the song. I would say if you haven't heard it, go listen to it before, you know, pause this, go listen to Schism. You know, it's like seven minutes long. I know that's a long song for some of you. Some people really do not dig the long songs, the instrumental. I mean, this isn't an instrumental song, but they're, you know, it's a longer song. So I'm not sure how everyone's going to feel about that, but maybe this episode isn't for you. (coughs) Excuse me. So the word Schism means division or separation, uh, you know, something that's going to cause discord or disharmony. Um, It's also, another definition is a formal 
a formal division in or a separation from a church or religious body. So that's something to consider. It shares the same root word as schizophrenia, schizo, which means a split. Um, so that's that's just a little interesting background. So maybe it'll give you some insights into what this song is about. Uh, they won a Grammy for this song, and when they went up there, they thanked Satan. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I It's like Pearl Jam when they went up there. Eddie Vedder said, I don't really understand winning awards for art. Uh, so I love any time anybody makes a joke out of those award shows. So that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I'm about, I'm about to get into this. Um, I'm going to kind of pause it and listen to sections of the song, and then I'll go over them. Uh, I'll give you timestamps. Uh, you know, so maybe if you want to listen to it along, you can. Um, but you know. I might even try to play some of it into the microphone here. I did a little test before, and it sounded okay, so we'll see what happens. But uh, we're going to, like uh, like PewDiePie says, we're just going to jump into it. Oh, another thing that is cool about this this song and a lot of Tool songs is that it's a bass-driven song. It's a bass feature. And, uh, you know, you don't get a lot of that in your kind of regular rock music. It's uh, very guitar-centric. Um... Another thing about this song before we start playing it is that there are nearly 50 meter changes in this song. So that's uh, the way that they're counting the song off. You know, songs songs are broken up into uh, something, these things called measures or bars. And the measures or bars, it's just kind of how the musicians know where they are in the song. It gives you some kind of like structure that you're hanging all of these notes off of decoratively trying to get it to sound nice. You know, you got this skeleton that is the time signatures and the, uh, the measure or the meters. So there's a bunch of meter changes and time changes in this song. Um, you know, and that's something, a, a lot of songs, a lot of pop songs that you hear, it's in four, four time, three, four time, very simple time signatures. And it's that way throughout the entire song. You know, four four. You're gonna have it's gonna be like one two three four one two three four one two three four. So you're gonna have, you know, you'll say that the intro is two bars, then the chorus, or I'm sorry, the verse is two bars, and then the chorus is four bars. So you got two bars, two bars, four bars. So that's a total of eight bars. So that's you going through the. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, eight times. Um, and that's just kind of how you're playing it. That's how you're keeping your place in the song. Tool, and I'm going to kind of count some of these out for you when we get to them. They're playing in crazy, you know, they're doing stuff that if I was trying to play this, I would be so lost and confused. And, uh, you know, that's just something that really good, talented musicians, they know how to stay in it, um, which is, I, I imagine it's probably something like meditation, you know, like I try to meditate sometimes and I'll do, I'll be doing okay and then I'll snap out of it and it's hard for me to, to really stay in it. And I think that uh, mus musicians probably get better at that like people who meditate do. So I've never really even thought about it that way before. That's off the top of my head here on the will to power hour. 
All right, so here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and play this into the microphone. So we'll see how this works out. Hopefully, I'm not gonna ruin the episode entirely right here. Um, here we go. fucking up already. Alright, one second. We are going to have to start that over again because I, I'm i basically just playing this on my phone and holding it up to the microphone. So, I accidentally touched, I accidentally touched another song about 20 seconds in. So, here we go. Let's start over. stop right there that intro so that intro it, it's got a pretty interesting time signature thing going on in itself it's like you know like I said most songs you're counting off one two three four one two three four this song the intro that starts there it's you're counting it like one two one two three one two one two one two three so I mean it they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And like I said, I don't understand how they keep that straight in their minds. That is mind boggling to me. So right out of the gate, they're doing some cool stuff with the time signatures. Um, stuff that is a lot more complicated than you see in, you know, top 40 radio. So that's pretty cool. Um, let's jump right back into the song here. We're going to listen to a little bit longer of a section here. So... All right, here we go. got done with the first verse there uh, we're about a minute and 20 into the song in case you are you know not satisfied with the the way it sounds on here which i don't blame you i don't know how it really sounds but i we'll see we'll see this is a work in progress all right uh, i'm trying to figure this shit out so that first verse uh, that's an it's another time signature thing there where instead of being one two three four it's alternating between one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So back and forth and back and forth with that. And you know, you gotta remember where you are. Uh, it, it, I would not wanna, I would wanna be in Tool, that would be pretty sweet, but man, that seems like a complicated job, especially being, I mean, 
especially being the drummer, Danny Carey. I mean, there's a lot going on there. You listen to the drums throughout the song. And like I said, these guys are just very talented. So that adds a lot to, you know, the pleasure of listening to it. Um, so now to kind of talk about the lyrics of this part, um, I'm just going to kind of read them to you. He says, I know the pieces fit because I watched them fall away. Mildewed and smoldering, fundamental differing. Pure intention juxtaposed will set two lovers' souls in motion, disintegrating as it goes, testing our communication. So to me, it sounds like, um, it sounds to me like he's talking about a relationship, you know, between a man and a woman, friends, you know, a pair, you know, just, I guess he says lovers, so that, I guess it would be weird if it was your parents, but... Uh, you know, it could be any kind of human relationship. And the idea is that communication is key. You know, he says, I know the piece is fit. So he's saying, I know that this can work. I've seen this be good before. I've seen things going the way that they should. Um, but I also watched them fall apart. Uh, mildewed and smoldering. That I mean, that's bringing to mind you know, visions of something that has not been taken care of, something that has been rotting, something's collecting mildew, smoldering. I think of, a you know, a big fire that used to be this roaring inferno, and now it's just these smoldering embers because nobody's been stoking the flames. Um, so that's, that's what that comes, that's what that brings to my mind. Fundamental differing, you know, that's pretty self-explanatory. Fundamental differences that you just can't seem to get over. And he says, pure intention juxtaposed um, will set two lovers' souls in motion. So to me, that seems like he's saying pure intention, just being who you really are, living out who you really are, that's attractive to people. Um, disintegrating as it goes, testing our communication. So it's it, it, that's enough to draw someone to you, but you have to maintain, you know, otherwise it disintegrates and communication breaks down. And like I said, this is a, the, it, the communication, the communication aspect is key. The light that fueled our fire then has burned a hole between us. So we cannot see to reach an end crippling our communication. Um, yeah, I mean, clearly this is just all about communication. The light that fueled our fire then has burned a hole between us. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe what drew them together in the first place is what's pushing them apart. I don't know. I don't, I don't see a way that that really fits into specifics, but that's, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we cannot see to reach an end crippling our communication. It's like, you can't even, you can't even see where you're going to get to the end. It's, you know, it's not like you're limping along. You, you have, you're lost. So that's, that's interesting. Um, the part that comes up next is one of my favorite parts of the song, and it happens after every... every the, the first time he says, testing our communication, it goes right back into the light that fueled our fire then has burned a hole between us. And I love the way he like staggers these vocals in this. Um, but after that first time, every time he belts out the communication, they go into this thing that I'm calling the chorus. It's not a chorus, um, but it's just this 
awesome jam after uh, after all of the verses. So let me get this queued up here, and then we will jump back into it again. Let's see here. All right, here we go. So let's continue here on to verse 2. Let me cue us up here. We had started a little bit into the uh, the verse there. Maynard had already sang and already started singing. So I'm not even going to fiddle with it though because I don't want it to I don't want to go back like 30 seconds and I have to listen to a bunch of it. So here we go. verse 2 um, and there's you know in this song you've got that bass line the uh, going through there and the way that the bass line just kind of locks in with the drums um, it's like they're stack. I don't know it's like they're sometimes when I listen to music like this particularly, I see, I like visualize the the instrument parts and how they're locking in together. Like I think of, um, you know, those castles and walls and things that are built. I, I particularly, I think of something like, I, I can't remember if it's Chichen Itza. I think it is. Um, you got these massive stones and they're like locked into each other and there's no there's no like cement holding them together or anything. It's just that the weight of the stones, they're like locked into place. And I, that's how I think about music sometimes. I think I just visualize it as, you know, there's this bass line and then the drums are like kind of matching the bass line, kind of locking into a groove, which is kind of the point of the rhythm section, the bass and the, the drums and the rhythm guitar to some, you know, to some extent. Um, and then you've got all these other things, you know, the guitar coming in and just adding, you know, filling in spots, adding things, you know, embellishments here and there. Um, and I love that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just love that. It seems to me, it makes the music seem more significant. Like, I think that these guys really were trying to say something. They had an idea that they were putting into this, you know. It does. It's not. It's not simple, but not in a bad way. Sometimes things can be. You know, you got a guy wailing on a guitar. It's like you are doing too much. I do not feel that way about Tool. I feel like everything is perfectly placed. So that's something to consider. Um. You know, to go into the lyrics of this one. 
I said that I thought the first one was about a, a relationship. And in my mind, this second verse, this is about the relationship on a, a global level, a national level, it's like political, uh, you know, in a political way. Uh, just the relation of humanity to one another. Um, and, you know, the lyrics go, I know the pieces fit because I watched them tumble down. No fault, none to blame. It doesn't mean I don't desire to point the finger, blame the other, watch the temple topple over, to bring the pieces back together, rediscover communication. So, you know, again, I know the pieces fit, so I, I've seen great things. I've seen amazing feats, um, but I've also watched them tumble down. So I know it's possible because I saw it, but I also saw it destroyed. And to me, that seems like, you know, Chris has done a lot of talking in his solo episodes and even in the, the main episodes about us being God, everything being God. And to me, I just can't help but think of th that's who's watching. That's, you know, I know the pieces fit because I watched them tumble down. And it's the, the collective we, the collective everyone. Um, so that, that's what comes to mind with that line. No fault, none to blame. It doesn't mean I don't desire to point the finger and blame the other. So he's talking about bad things happen. It's not necessarily anybody's fault. Um, but it's human nature to desire to point the finger and blame the other. We're, we're a tribal collect, you know, a tribal collective species on some level. And, you know, my more libertarian leanings, uh, sometimes the collective idea can be grating, but I actually kind of lean into it a little bit more than most libertarians. So, uh, but I don't want to make this a libertarian podcast, although every, everything goes back to it with me. I don't know why I have, I have a problem. So he says, after he's talking about pointing the finger and blame the other, he says he'll watch the temple topple over and that calls to mind the Tower of Babel. And you're talking about communication here in this song. The song is about the importance of communication. And you think about what's happening in the Tower of Babel story. You've got these people and they're trying to build a tower, you know, to heaven. They're trying to make themselves equal with God. That's how the story goes. Uh, and what does God do to deter that? He destroys their ability to communicate. He snaps his fingers and boom, everybody's speaking different languages. So I feel like, you know, the next part is to bring the pieces back together, rediscover communication. And I feel like what Maynard is kind, kind of trying to say here is that we can attain a higher level of divinity through communication. And I think that that's true on some level. Uh, I think the better we all understand each other, I don't know. It seems like we're closer to something, maybe closer to each other. And if we're all God, that seems significant. Um, so that, you know, that's what was taken from us when we tried to become equal to God in that story where God is, you know, I guess kind of spiteful and mean and doesn't want us to be him, even though I'm, I'm kind of saying that we are him. So, you know, I don't know why he would be mad about it, but I can think of a few reasons, really. 
Um, mainly because it's a, you know, a Bronze Age interpretation. But, you know, all things aside. Uh, so what are we getting into here? Okay, so, you know, we listen to that chorus again. And I think it comes, I think there's another part of it through here in the song. So I, I'm just excited to be able to listen to it again. That's, like I said, one of my favorite parts of the song. So let's see what we got coming up here again. Oh, this is, we're about to go into this bridge part here, which is great. So that's, that's cool. Let me get it pulled up here. Here we go. goes back into that bass line there after the bridge but let's let's talk about that bridge a little bit um this is another part that that chorus uh that i said i love so much that's got a really weird time signature too that's you know the first one was alternating between fives and sevens every other measure is five and seven the chorus is it switches to alternating sixes and sevens so you get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight bars of alternating six, seven for the chorus. So one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then it switches back into the five, seven for the verse. So that's, that's what's going on there. Um, then the bridge, I'm not even going to count this out for you, but the bridge is just switching. It's got three different meters or time signatures going. It starts five, Five eight, then moves to seven eight, then moves to eleven eight, which you would, you know, if you're playing it, you're probably not actually going to be counting to eleven. You'll probably count to five and then to six. You know, start over at one and then count to six. It's easier to break things into smaller bits that still add up. And uh, you know, this this little bridge part, it just breaks into this like real rocking guitar riff. Um, that's like kind of different from the rest of the song, you know, mainly because it's, uh, I think, uh, the Adam Jones on the guitar is kind of carrying that part of it. He's like the most out front in that. Um, so I love that part. And the lyrics, they go like this, the poetry that comes from the squaring off between and the circling is worth it. Finding beauty in the dissonance. And I was not sure, that was one part, I was really having trouble drawing meaning from that part of it. I thought maybe it was about fighting, you know, they're talking about squaring off, the poetry that comes from the squaring off, uh, but I didn't really understand how that fit into the song. Then I watched the music video for this song, which um, I, I would highly recommend listening to the song without watching the music video, but then definitely go watch the music video too. It is a very sweet music video and you watch it the first time I watched it even for preparing for this I watched it and I was like I don't know what this means you know I can I watch it and I see it like dream imagery like nightmarish dream imagery but it's not pointless there's very all of the images are very obviously impregnated with some sort of meaning um so I was looking into the music video and I found out that 
a lot of the music video has to do with, and I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to go deep into the music video because that is another entire can of worms. That could be another podcast, Tool Music Videos, which I don't think I'm going to do that one. But uh, this one, a lot of it has to do with alchemy um, and the, the idea of squaring the circle. So that's where you get the poetry that comes from the squaring off between and the circling is worth it, finding beauty in the dissonance. So... Um, it's interesting that some of the things that we've talked about, we've talked about are popping up in this because the idea of squaring the, the circle is, let, let's see here. Where, do, where does this quote start? I have a quote here. For, okay. This is a quote from Carl Jung, who's come up in the podcast many times before. It's from a work of his called Mandalas. And a mandala is a specific type of piece of artwork uh, that has to do with squares and circles. And uh, he says, the squaring of the circle is one of the many archetypal motifs which from the basic patterns of our dreams and fantasies, which form the basic patterns of our dreams and fantasies. But it is distinguished by the fact that it is one of the most important of them from the functional point of view. Indeed, it could even be called the archetype of wholeness. So you're talking about becoming whole. Um, finding a way to be who you truly are, I guess, uh, balancing, you know, the inner portion of yourself, you know, the, I guess you would call it the spirit, uh, the soul, whatever you want to call it, the mind, the psyche, uh, with the outer portion of yourself, your body, and also balancing it with the heavens and the earth. Uh, that's what swearing the circle is about. It's an old idea. Um, and it seems to me that this, you know, this whole song is about communication. And it seems this part makes me think. It's funny, I didn't have any idea for what it was. And then I look into it and it kind of, it didn't change entirely the way I thought of the song, but it put some new things in there for sure. And I just feel like this is about dissolving barriers between everything. Realizing that everything is one, which is an idea that we've talked about many times on this podcast. It's something that I I would say that I believe. I don't even really know what that means, but it seems like the truth to me. And if you show me evidence that it's not the truth, I guess I would believe it. But that's just the way things feel to me. So, um, I, yeah, I just think that that's interesting that uh, that pops up in the song. I wasn't even, I had no idea that any of that was really in there. So that's pretty cool. Um, and Adam Jones in that, that little bridge part. I love that guitar. Like I said, it's just such a, a rockin' guitar riff for a song that is so bass-driven. But at the end of it, he does this like, wah! Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Just the accents, the things... He's doing as much by the parts that he's not playing as when he is playing. Uh, but that that like makes the time where he is playing just like, oh, there's that. That was cool as hell. Uh, it, it really, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. You're like adding by being um, choosy. I don't know. The, there's definitely probably better words that I could use to describe what I'm saying, but I think you get it. Um, so with that bridge in the books, I guess we're going to get into the third verse and the third chorus. So here we go. Let me. All right. Here we go. 
So that played through the third verse there, through the third repetition of that chorus piece, and then there's like a little bit of a jam leading into what I'm calling a breakdown because the beat kind of does break down. It becomes a lot slower. Um, so yeah, I'm calling it a breakdown. But let's talk about that, the uh, the verse there. So basically, we're talking about. This is kind of just like a general. I, I, you know, maybe I'm reading things into those first two too that it's not exactly what I'm saying. But this one seems more general. There was a time that the pieces fit, but I watched them fall away, mildewed and smoldering, strangled by our coveting. I've done the math enough to know the dangers of our second guessing, doomed to crumble unless we grow and strengthen our communication. So, you know, talking about us coveting each other and, you know, coveting someone is not just always, you know, wanting the car that they have. Sometimes you want somebody's life. Sometimes you want to be someone. Sometimes who knows what you're coveting. You know, covetous behavior can ruin people. Uh, it can make, it can inspire you to stop communicating. It can inspire you to kill somebody. Um, and I feel like kind of the point of all of this is that you can avoid those things. Even if you do feel covetous over something, communicate. And maybe you can talk through it. Maybe you can find a way to move past it. So... We have to transcend the pettiness, the human pettiness is what I think he, that's kind of about. Then he says, I've done the math enough to know the dangers of our second guessing. And I love, this is particularly a part where I really love the way that Maynard is like staggering this. It seems like he's kind of waiting until the last minute, like letting the measure pass by as far as he possibly can before he starts singing. You know, he says, he says, I've done the math enough to know the dangers of our second guessing. Uh, it's just this really weird cadence, but it sounds great. Um, uh, partially a testament to just how great Maynard's voice is. Um, yeah, so basically, doomed to crumble unless we grow and strengthen our communication. So again, just... All is lost without communication. Just hammering home that point. Um, you get the little post-chorus or, or uh, post-verse, you know, verse, I guess, jam that leads to the breakdown. So this breakdown part is pretty awesome. There's some, some really great stuff going on here. So let's uh, get into that. sound that comes in here.
Okay, so that that Brit or uh, I guess breakdown part, uh, I just love that. That's another weird time signature thing where you're counting like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, it's just, again, it's just crazy. You know, I I can play these little folk songs on my guitar. I can play this song "Fare Thee Well," which is a great song, and I'm glad I know how to play it. But it's just one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, throughout the entire song. And sometimes I still get confused. You know, I'll be like in the middle of it. I'll be like, wait a minute. And just, you know, this is why I don't play in front of people that often. Okay. Um, so that's cool. I love the, the guitar. You know, there's that very soft kind of um, arpeggiated guitar. It almost seems like finger picking going on there uh, that goes on for a while. Then you have that... Um, that noise that comes through is like wah, wah, wah. I don't even, I don't know what that is, but it's cool as hell. I love that. Um, so that's, that's the instrumental part of this little breakdown here. And now Maynard is about to start singing. And uh, this is a cool part of the song because Maynard's voice is uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, he's like I said he's got such a great voice and you're gonna see it here because he sings this part which is just this soft beautiful part with beautiful lyrics um, and then right after that we're gonna get to a point where he's like growling you know he's just really belting it out so that's cool it's cool to see the juxtaposition of those things so here we go I'm gonna play this part where Maynard is singing now let's get my app going here here we go. This is great, this build up here. They build this tension and then they just explode. So that is that part there with the vocals. And the reason I separated that is because I really wanted to talk about the vocals here, uh, the lyrics, really. I mean, the vocals are incredible. Like I said, that part, Maynard's voice sounds so, you know, he's got a beautiful voice. Um, but the lyrics here, cold silence has a tendency to atrophy any sense of compassion. Then you have a little bit of build up, there's no lyrics, but then he continues that line. A tendency to atrophy any sense of compassion between supposed brothers, between supposed lovers. Um, and 
you know, like I said, he's going to basically start growling here in a minute, uh, just like really doing a great metal voice. But right here, you know, there's the cold silence has a tendency, that part where his voice sounds like sweet. He's got a very pretty, like ringing like a bell voice. And then he gets to, there's the, the little instrument break there where they build up some tension and he he's just belting out this between supposed brothers, between supposed lovers. You know, uh, the the dude's voice is just incredible. So basically, I'm just going to hit play on the rest of this song for you. And the last minute of this song is fantastic. The last 20 seconds of this song is out of this world, fucking awesome heavy. So just appreciate that. And then we'll uh, we'll talk about it a little bit when I get back. Here we go. This is the, the growling metal Maynard. And here comes the heaviness, man. yes man the the last 20 seconds of that song just gets me pumped uh, it's so heavy and then maybe the last like t eight to ten seconds danny carey is just you know it, it makes me every time i hear it it makes me think of that line from um step brothers where richard jenkins is at you know the goddamn catalina wine mixer and uh dale is playing drums and he's like Beat the fuck out of those drums, Dale! Uh, which is one of my favorite parts of that movie. And But, I mean, like I said, the reason I'm thinking of that is because Danny Carey is just beating the shit out of those drums. It's like... Just going crazy. I can't even... There's there's so many beats that I can't even imitate it. Um, so that's Schism. Uh, and I think that the... The lyrical content of that song was surprisingly I think relevant to this podcast so uh, that was cool that that like inspired me to want to do this and then the next song that I'm going to talk about I'm going to go over a lot more quickly because it's been done a lot but I just think that it, it also is just very right in the wheelhouse of the two tongues family so the next song is lateralis and the name comes from lateral thinking uh, which is viewing problems through a new light um, you know, so, you know, like math is a problem for me and I'm, you know, th things like this song are causing me to see something that I've seen as a problem as something beautiful, something that I'm interested in, uh, because it just recontextualizes it for me. So the math that I'm talking about here, lateralis in, this is not like hidden knowledge. This is something that a lot of people know. Um, we're gonna so we're gonna talk about the math that's in this song, which is the Fibonacci sequence. 
And the Fibonacci sequence is a sequence of numbers where after the first two numbers, every other, every next number is the sum of the two that came before it. So the Fibonacci sequence starts this way. One, one, so one plus one is two, one plus two is three, two plus three is five, three plus five is eight, five plus eight is 13, eight plus 13 is 21, 13 plus 21 is 34, and on and on, you know, as long as you can go. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting stuff about the, uh, the Fibonacci sequence. If you map the numbers out onto square tiles and then you connect the, like the farthest corner to the nearest corner of each box, you get what's called a Fibonacci spiral. Um, and that Fibonacci spiral is an approximation of the golden spiral, which is a representation of the golden ratio. And the golden ratio is another thing that shows up all throughout nature. Um, you know, you're ta I'm talking about in nature, all over the place, in science, in art, in design. I mean, you're seeing it in classical paintings. You're seeing it in spiral galaxies. You're seeing it in ancient architecture. You're seeing it in hurricane shapes. You're seeing it in the way that, you know, the seed pods, it, like pine cones in a tree, and the way that the sunflower seeds are laid out in the center of the sunflower, um, you know, spiral ferns, you know, fiddlehead ferns, all, all of that type of stuff. This golden ratio is everywhere in nature. It's constantly showing up. So you've got this thing that is intrinsic to being, intrinsic to existence, this, these ratios. Uh, and what Tool does is they base all of the time signatures, the drum beats, the, the cadence of the syllables and the, the way the lyrics are laid out and written, it all is based on these ratios, okay? So, uh, you know, we'll cover time signature stuff uh, you know, as I come to it, I guess. I'm not, like I said, I'm not doing this one as in detail. I'm just gonna kind of go over it here. So the first verse, the syllables of the verse, every line of the verse cor uh, correspond to that Fibonacci sequence. So you've got the first line has one syllable, the second line has one syllable, the third line has two syllables, the fourth line has three syllables, the fifth line has five syllables, the sixth line has eight, and then they start going back down. You know, he goes from eight back to five, then back to three, then back to two, then back to one, and then to one again. So the lyrics are, and you know, I'll kind of like clap for the syllables here. Black, then white are all I see in my infancy. Red and yellow then came to be reaching out to me, lets me see. So in the time signature that they're playing in, in the way that they're singing these lyrics, it's all reflecting this golden ratio, this Fibonacci spiral. Um, and it seems to me that this, no, it doesn't even seem to me, it's pretty obvious that this is about birth and dev development. You know, he's talking about black and white are all I see in my infancy, red and yellow, they came to be reaching out to me, lets me see. So, you know, you imagine uh, uh, a child that's developing um, you know, 
at first your vision it's not as it's not as developed it's your it's pretty simple you're seeing you know kind of shadows uh i think yeah i've heard that babies until they get a little bit older they're not really they're not really taking a whole lot in they're they still got their uh you know the pre-birth goggles on in some some aspect um but then once you develop you start to see more you start to perceive more uh, which is particularly relevant for the type of things that we're talking about. You start to perceive more. Um, uh, the colors in that verse, you know, I, I think Maynard even has said that they represent birth, but I've also heard him say, you know, in my research here, listening to interviews and stuff, that it, the colors come from Aboriginal creation stories where they play a heavy role. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the colors are significant in alchemy as well, which alchemy, you know, that played a big part in the schism uh, tune there. Uh, the creation of the Philosopher's Stone utilizes f four color changes. I don't even, I have no idea what that means, but it's something that uh, that has been said, or that I, it must be true. Uh, I assume that this person's not lying. Uh, but it, the color changes go in the order that they go in that song, black, white, red, yellow. So there's some kind of significance to that in Aboriginal creation stories and alchemy, which is just interesting. I don't, I don't really know the significance. It's just cool. Uh, to reflect the Fibonacci sequence more deeply, the first verse repeats again. So you've got the one, one thing again. Uh, so that's definitely another, like I said, representation of that. Uh, the golden ratio number, if you figure it out numerically, the first few digits are 1.618. In this song, Maynard starts singing at the 1 minute and 37 seconds mark. 1 minute and 37 seconds is 1.618 minutes. So there's all kinds of ways that they're tying this ratio in, tying these Fibonacci numbers in. You can rearrange 1 minute and 37 seconds as 13.7, 13 is the seventh number of the Fibonacci sequence. So again, just all kinds of ways that this song is so well thought out and planned out. There's, like I said, nothing out of place. Everything is right where it's supposed to be. So he goes into singing and this is, you know, in the syllable, you know, laid out in the same syllable way. There is so much more and beckons me to look through to these infinite possibilities. So infinite possibilities, that's eight syllables, two words, eight syllables. Damn. Um, so basically he's saying he's developed to the point that he can see the infinite nature of existence and is excited by all of the possibility. And that sounds like Chris to me. That sounds like a guy who has been on this path of discovery for so long that he is, you know, realized some kind of truth that everything is infinite, that, you know, God, just the nature of existence, the nature of God, if you want to call it that, uh, it does, it, it gives you this opportunity, this opportunity for endless possibility it seems so getting back into some of the Fibonacci um, significance each verse of this song is 55 seconds long 55 is a Fibonacci number um, so after the 
verse finishes, you move into a 13-syllable pre-chorus. 13 is the next number in the sequence. So he says, and this is, these lyrics are interesting too, uh, and it has more to do with the same stuff. Uh, As below, so above, and beyond, I imagine. Drawn outside the lines of reason, push the envelope, watch it bend. So that's more of the same. And I think we were kind of talking about this the other day. I was talking about the chicken and the egg. It was the chicken and the egg conversation from the last podcast where there's inside the chicken, there's an egg inside the egg. There's a chicken inside that chicken. There's the egg inside, you know, on and on turtles all the way down. Like Chris said. Um, and I, you know, I think about the way that, you know, I don't even know what they're called. The, uh, the nerve structures in our brains look like trees. Um, and, you know, the the thing... I don't even know what they are, but the things in space, uh, the things in our head that look like nebula in space, um, I just... And just the confusion of atoms being mostly empty space, and it, it, it all just seems like magic. And... Uh, I think that it is magic on some level, and I think that these people who say that it's all just physical, I think that they're really missing something. Um, but you know, it as above, so as below, so above and beyond. I imagine it's just all. Everything is the same. Every it, it's everywhere. This is everywhere. Um, drawn outside the lines of reason, it's beyond human reason. You do. Good luck. You can try to understand it. I highly recommend you do try to understand it, but good luck. Push the envelope, watch it bend. That to me seems like a reference to the infinite possibility. So he goes into the chorus. They go into the chorus here, and the chorus has some significant time signature stuff. The chorus is shifting between 9 8, 8 8, and 7 8 time signatures. That gave the original. Uh, the song, its original title, which was 987. And 987 is the 16th number in the Fibonacci sequence. So, uh, again, just more tying all of this this stuff into this song. The ma- the mathematical intricacies... The mathematical intricacies of this song are amazing. Um, I'm sure somebody who knows more about this kind of stuff, could talk about this in a way more interesting way than I can. And like I said, look up that dude Rick Beato um, on YouTube. But, you know, just to maybe get you interested in this kind of stuff, I feel like it'll do. So the lyrics of the chorus are, Overthinking, overanalyzing, separates the body from the mind. Withering my intuition, missing opportunities, and I must feed my will. Uh, well, that's that's kind of the chorus there. Then they get into other stuff. But so he's talking about overthinking and overanalyzing separates the body from the mind. And that to me seems, you know, we talked in one of the episodes, Chris was talking about that guy Amit Goswami and how he talked about do, be, do, be, do. And you have to take some time to just be and uh, appreciate and I feel like that's kind of what they're talking about here. You're thinking, you're analyzing. Uh, and sometimes you just have to take your intellectual mind out of it and just appreciate, you know? Uh, so that's what I think that they're they're talking about here. Um, let's see. 
I? I'm sorry, I lost my place here. Oh, the uh, the last part of that is feed my will to feel this moment, urging me to cross the line. Um, and that's pretty, you know, pretty self-explanatory. There, it, you need, like I said, it's the do be. You have to be uh, urging me to cross the line. I don't know what line he's talking about here, but you know. I don't have to know all of this stuff. All right, so I'll get into the rest of these lyrics here because it's pretty much just all lyrical stuff from this point on. Um, where was I? Reaching out to embrace whatever may come. Uh, reaching out to embrace the random. Reaching out to embrace whatever may come. I embrace my desire to. I embrace my desire to. Feel the rhythm to feel connected. Enough to step aside and weep like a widow, to feel inspired, to fathom the power, to witness the beauty, to bathe in the fountain, to swing on the spiral, to swing on the spiral, to swing on the spiral of our divinity and still be a human. With my feet upon the ground, I lose myself between the sounds and open wide to suck it in. I feel it move across my skin. I'm reaching up and reaching out. I'm reaching for the random or whatever will be, or whatever will bewilder me, whatever will bewilder me. And following our will and wind, we may just go where no one's been. We'll ride the spiral to the end and may just go where no one's been. And then they keep saying over and over again, spiral out, keep going, spiral out, keep going, spiral out, keep going, spiral out, keep going. So that's the rest of the song lyrically. So, I mean, we're talking about um, reaching out to embrace the random. Um, you know, that's, again, the infinite possibilities. Just take what's coming, you know, try to be... Try to live in the moment. Uh, don't get wrapped up in the ego. Uh, I think that's the point of that. Reach out to embrace whatever may come. Again, just take it. I mean, you know, there's not much that you can do about some of these things. And people get themselves all worked up. Um, and you just go with the flow. Be like water, as Bruce Lee said. So this is the part where it starts getting really interesting to me. He says... I embrace my desire to, and this is all kind of like stuttered here, not stuttered, but he's just repeating himself for dramatic effect. I embrace my desire to, I embrace my desire to feel the rhythm, to feel connected. Uh, so to feel the rhythm, and that's like one interesting way that the time signature stuff ties into all of this. And Jordan Peterson, who again gets talked about a lot in this show, I've heard him talk about music and why music seems significant. And it's because he says it's because it's layered and it's layered in patterns and reality existence is layered and layered in patterns. And I, that seems to make sense to me. That seems right because there's something about music to me and especially good music, like well thought out music like this, that does seem to be, imitating existence it's like this mini microcosm of existence of reality um so he's looking to feel the rhythm and to feel connected to existence 
uh, enough to step aside and weep. This this part this part is all beautiful to me. Enough to step aside and weep like a widow, to feel inspired, to fathom the power, to witness the beauty, to bathe in the fountain. So that's all. Again, just allowing yourself to be open to being moved, to being inspired, to witnessing beauty. Um, that's all stuff that you can forget about when you're, like I said, wrapped up in the ego. Yeah. I mean, how many times, you know, have you been driving and you're driving, you know, you're driving through the beautiful fall foliage or something and you could be just taking this time to appreciate, but you're worried about where you're going. You know, you're worried about, you know, the stupid petty things that keep our minds occupied most of the time. Um, so then he goes into talking about to swing on the spiral and that is significant to me because of the Fibonacci spiral and the golden spiral and the ratios. He's saying ride existence. You know, you're going to swing on the spiral. You're going to swing on existence. Um, and swing on the spiral of our divinity and still be a human. And to me, that sounds a lot like the things that Chris and I talk about where I am God Everything is God. There is nothing. And that sounds narcissistic or egomaniacal, but it's not because I'm, I am God, but you know, this, this, uh, the, the microphone that I just bumped is also God, you know? So, uh, it does make me special, but it also makes this microphone special. So, uh, I just don't really see it as the narcissistic thing, but a lot of people do. Uh, I think that some people who listen to this might feel that way. Um, swing on the spiral of our divinity and still be a human. Uh, the still be a human part I think is interesting because, you know, I feel like maybe a more narcissistic person could run with the ide ideology that they are God and do awful things with it. So you have to remain human, realizing that you are divine, but remaining human because you're not any more important than anyone else. And that kind of feeds right into what I was just talking about with the, uh, how it's not really egomaniacal. With my feet upon the ground, I lose, my, lose myself between the sounds and open wide to suck it in. I feel it move across my skin. You know, I'm reaching up and reaching out. I'm reaching for the random, more of the random, whatever will bewilder me. And that is great. Um, he's talking about being bewildered and... I don't know. I just think, uh, I do think it's important to be bewildered. These people who, you know, walk around and I, you know, we kind of talked about materialist interpretations of things and these, these materialists who, you know, like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, who just walk around like they've got everything figured out. And I think Sam Harris might even be a little bit more of a spiritual hippie than, uh, than he lets on, but he, he tries to pass it off through this materialist hard science, you know, it's all, it's all in my brain. Um, and I'm going to kind of get to why I think that's all silly here, but, um, following. So what, what does he say here? And following our will and when we may just go where no one's been, we'll ride the spiral till the end and may just go where no one's been. So that to me again is a reference to the infinite possibility that is afforded to us by God, by existence. Uh, keeps keep going spiral out just keep going deeper basically that's the, that seems to me to be 
the point of that song at the end there. So, um, and kind of going back to what I was saying there, people talk about these amazing natural events like an eclipse or having a child, um, life developing in the first place, anything existing, period. And they chalk it up to, oh, it's math and science, bro, you know. Um, you know, Fib oh, Fibonacci shows up in the pine cones and seed pods and flowers because that's like the most efficient way to distribute seeds in order for the species to go on. Uh, and not, not because of some, you know, cosmic mandate. Um, so that's the kind of language you'll hear from a lot of people who do not agree with me on a lot of this stuff. It's like, yeah, okay, but why? You know, why is it this way and not another way? Why is it this way instead of not existing at all? And, you know, who are you to speak about cosmic mandates? How do you know? You know, where are you getting this information from that it's not a cosmic mandate? Um, I think it just maybe how you're defining cosmic mandate is the problem. How you're thinking about a cosmic mandate or God or existence. Maybe that's the problem. So, you know, it's like, I don't know, I feel like it, that attitude, it's like somebody who, if they, they were alive during Jesus' time and Jesus is over there literally turning water into wine and this dude's like, eh, it's just, a, it's a miracle, dude. No big deal. Jesus does this all the time. It's like, okay, just because it happens all the time doesn't mean that it's not fantastic and magical, you know? And that is, uh, that is something that I wish that a lot of people could grasp to get, not even grasp, just get it back in their lives. The, the appreciation for the magic of existence. And um, I don't know. I think that's, that's about it. I mean, just because the amazing stuff is happening all around us all the time and we can explain the math of it doesn't make it less miraculous. That's about it. I mean, that's where I think I'm going to leave off. This was, uh, this was actually a little bit longer than I thought it was going to be, but hopefully you guys like it. I, I enjoyed at least putting it together. I, you know, maybe I'm a little nervous about putting it out, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, all right. Love you guys. Follow me at angry Viking King on, on pretty much everything. Follow at two tongues pod on Instagram. We're on other things, but we're not really posting. There's a, there is a Two Tongues Facebook page, so check that out. I'll try to maybe get things going on there a little bit more. I know quite a few of the people who listen are active on Facebook. I've heard that. So, all right. Well, I love you guys. I hope you have a fantastic few days. We will talk to you again soon. Bye.